Our reading this morning is from Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, if you would like to turn there with me. Starting in verses 1. Then Jerubbabah, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you. I will test them for you there and go with you. And, And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of who lapped, putting their hands on their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent them all, all, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Can I just say again to the children, uh, it is so good to have the children in here with us. I would like the adults, if you could join me and give the children a big clap, because they do so well, so well on Sunday morning. They do an absolutely excellent job on Sunday morning. It is great to have the children here with us. And I remembered the Aldi bag this morning for you. It is not the 70-cent Aldi bag, it is the 90-cent Aldi bag, and there is a lot better sweets in there. So um, if you want to bring me your drawings, uh, I'd love to see them. Dahlia, stay away from the bag. <laughs> later, later. Um, so no, it is so wonderful to have the children. Listen, I think, I think in the short term, what can happen as parents, sometimes we're like, you know, in the short term, we can be so tired and, you know wanting to keep our children quiet and all that on on Sunday morning. But in the long term, if you think about this in the long term, that's week after week, month after month, year after year of hearing sermon after sermon, song after song, and seeing you together worship Him. That is something we need to teach our children. 
and it's so good to have them here. So I just want to uh, reiterate that. You know, the passage we're in, uh, Judges uh, chapter 7, um, when you hear God's battle plan, you think to yourself, that is a terrible plan. And I don't mean to be irreverent here, but whenever you kind of look at God's battle plans in the Bible, humanly speaking, you look at God's battle plans in the Bible and you say to yourself, that is a terrible plan. When you, when you look at God's people as they're fleeing from Pharaoh, remember when God's people were fleeing from Pharaoh, what was the plan? The plan, first of all, was to run. And then Pharaoh was chasing God's people with all his chariots and with all his army. He, w- he was chasing them. And then as he was chasing them, they got to the waters, they got to the Red Sea, you know, and as they get to the Red Sea, you can imagine all the people coming to Moses and saying to Moses, okay, Moses, what's the plan? And then Moses says to the people, okay, here's the plan. We're going to stand by the sea and God is going to get this pillar of cloud and he's going to put the pillar of cloud between us and them. And then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to lift my hands above the waters. God's going to split the sea. We're going to walk through on dry ground. Then they're going to try and follow us and God is going to close it up. Who's with me? That sounds, humanly speaking, like a terrible plan. And then later, God's people come against Amalek, the army of Amalek, in in Exodus chapter 17. They come against this army, and they go to Moses. You can imagine them going to Moses. Okay, Moses, what's the battle plan? Moses says this, I'm going to go up onto this hill right here. I'm going to walk up to this hill, and I'm going to bring Aaron and her with me. And I'm going to lift up my hands. And as long as my hands are up in the air, we're going to win the battle. But if my hands go down, we're going to start losing the battle. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go up in a hill up here. You guys are going to fight. I'm going to go up in the hill. And Aaron and her, they're going to hold my hands up in the air. And as long as my hands are up in the air, we're going to win the battle. Who's with me? That sounds like a terrible plan. And then you think about Jericho. Jericho. God's people, they cross the sea, they come to Jericho, the walls of Jericho, they go to Joshua and they say, okay, Joshua, what's the plan? And Joshua says, okay, here's the plan. We're going to get seven priests and we're going to arm them with trumpets. And then here's what we're going to do. The first day we're going to walk around with the trumpets and we're going to blow them continuously for one day, okay? Then we're going to do it for two days and three days and four days and five days and six days. Okay, we'll blow trumpets for six days. And then wait, on the seventh day, here's what we're going to do. On the seventh day, guess what? We're going to walk around seven times blowing trumpets. And then at the end of that, after we've blown trumpets, at the end of walking around at seven times, at the end of that, the walls are just going to fall down and we're going to defeat Jericho. Who's with me? Sounds like a terrible plan. And then you look at this plan that Peter read for us, and you have Gideon's army. Gideon's army going from 22,000 to 10,000 to 300, and you say to yourself, humanly speaking, God, that is a terrible plan. I mean, even even thinking about the guy who's going to lead them, Gideon, The guy who's going to lead them, Gideon, is a guy who is afraid. 
This is a guy who, when he is threshing wheat, he doesn't thresh it out in the open on the threshing floor. He hides himself in a hole in the ground in a wine press, and he is supposed to be the person leading God's people. He's hiding in the wine press. He is the guy, when he was told to get rid of his father's idols, he is the guy who did that at nighttime, not during the day, because he was afraid. Gideon is the guy who kept asking the Lord for signs. The Lord said to him, I'm going to be with you when you go into the land. And and Gideon is saying, I want you to show me a sign. So Gideon takes out the fleece, remember? And he says, here's what, look, God, if I'm going to go, I need you to make that fleece wet and the ground dry. And he wakes up in the morning and he wrings the fleece out. And so then he says to the Lord, no, no, I need, I need another sign, Lord. You've got you to prove this to me. It's not enough that the Lord is actually with him. You've got to actually prove this to me, Lord. The Lord is physically with him. He says, you've got to prove it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make the ground dry, or I want you to make the ground wet and the fleece completely dry. And he wakes up in the morning, and what does he see? The fleece is dry. The ground is wet. Oh, no. I have to go. Then God says to him, I've got a plan for you. See those 22,000? Everyone who's afraid, I want them to go away. He's left with 10,000 men. Oh, no. Then the Lord, and you're surprised Gideon doesn't go. It says, out of the 22,000, all of those who are afraid are meant to go. And you're surprised the leader doesn't go. Left with 10,000. Then he says, you know, the way they have to... The guys who lap it up like dogs, they're going to be with you. 300 men. That's what he's left with. 300 men. That sounds like a terrible plan. And so the question is, why does God keep doing that? Why does God keep making, humanly speaking, these terrible battle plans? And the answer is given to us in one simple verse. Verse 2. It says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Why does the Lord do this? Why does the Lord lessen His army? The Lord lessens His army so that no one can say, I did it. You know, when when Jericho came tumbling down, no one could have said, that was me. The guys with the trumpets, that was me. We got it down. No, no one could boast. When, when they came up to the Red Sea and the Red Sea splits, no one, no one had a question as to who did that. There's no way more. It had to be the Lord. And so the Lord lessens his army from 22,000 to 10,000 to 300 so that no one will have a mistake as to who did it. It was the Lord. And so the truth that they need to remember and the truth that we need to remember is this. It is God who saves us. It is always God so that no one, no one may boast. That's why God does this. That's why God does all these weird things and has all these weird battle plans so there will be no mistake that it is the Lord God who saved His people. It is God 
who saves us. So that throughout the history of God's people, if God were to sit them down, and if God were to say, you remember the Red Sea, who saved you? They would say, God. Do you remember Jericho, who saved you? They would say, God. Do you remember the Midianite army, who saved you? God. Do you remember the Philistines? Was it David who saved you? No, it was God who saved us. And the Babylonians, who was it? It wasn't, it wasn't Daniel, it was God. God is the one who brings about salvation, and to God be all the glory. That's why he saves them like this. So there will be no question in anyone's mind who it is that has done the saving. And so if I were to sit you down and ask you the question, who saved you? I can tell you what the wrong answer is. The wrong answer is me. The right answer is God. It is God who saves you. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. Spiritually dead. Not alive. If you're spiritually dead, guess what you cannot do? You cannot save yourself. And guess what cannot happen when you're spiritually dead? No human being can save you. And guess what cannot happen when you're spiritually dead? No works can save you. No good actions can save you. The only hope that spiritually dead people have is God. And Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, these two words, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it says this, but God. But God. God. He was the one who made us alive. He is the one who saves us. And He saves us for the very same reason that He saved God's people in Gideon's day so that no one, no one could boast and say, it was me. Do you know, when I look back on my story, I know for sure it was not me. I was not chasing him. I was not looking, after, looking for him. I was running away from him, and he saved me. So that at the end of the day, I wouldn't come saying, oh man, I'm so great. I saved myself. I did all this good stuff, and I saved myself. No, it wasn't me. It was God. So that when I know it was God who saves me, he is the only one I can boast in. This is made clear, I think, in, um, in Corinthians, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians, it says this. You don't need to turn. It says this of, of God's salvation. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Who chose? God did. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Who chose? God did. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Who chose? God did. And here's the reason. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in his presence. God chose us so that we would praise him and not ourselves. It is a work of God. Verse 30 says, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the 
Lord. The Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, you are too many. And I am going to make you smaller in verse 2 so that no one will boast and say it was salvation belongs to them. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that is the first truth we see here in Gideon's story. It is God who saves. It is a salvation work of God. In fact, that is one of the themes in the book of Judges. God saves in unexpected ways so that God will get the glory. He does it through the left-handed man. He does it through the guy who has an eight-foot-long stick. He does it through, through, through a, a woman and a fearful man. He does it in unexpected ways. And now he's going to do it through Gideon, through an army of 300, so that God can receive all the glory and praise. Christian, hear me this morning. Christians should be boasters. You should boast all the time. I give you permission to boast all the time, but not in yourself. Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of weird, you know, uh, you know in, terms, in terms of gifts. Sometimes we, we will say our gifts is my gift, and, and sometimes people can boast in them. How can you boast in a gift? The gift has been given. <laughs> By who? God. And so who do you boast in? You boast in Him because He's given the gift. He deserves all glory. He deserves all honor. He deserves all praise because it's Him who gave it. And so our lives as Christians should be lives of boasting. It is God who saves us. And we give Him all the glory. And so the answer to the question, who has saved you? The answer is God. But some of us here this morning, when I ask that question, who has saved you, you don't have an answer yet. You don't have an answer yet to that question, who has saved you. In fact, maybe this morning, some of you don't think you need any saving. Get back from me. I don't need anybody to save me. I'm all good. The answer is this. Yes, you do need someone to save you. Because without Jesus, your eternal destiny is hell. Without Him and His salvation, that is where you are headed. You need Jesus to save you. You need eternal life. You need to trust in Him because He is the one who has died on the cross for your sins, that you might, those sins might no longer be counted against you, but that you might have His righteousness. And by believing and trusting in Him, not only will you get His righteousness, but you will have eternal life in Him. It is God who saves. And you are called this morning to trust in Him and him alone. That's a truth we see from Gideon's story. It is God who saves us. Second thing I want you to see is, is people, they outnumber us. Look at what happens after, after the, the army is brought down to 300. Verse 9, it says this, that same night, the Lord said to him, to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Porah, your servant, if you are afraid. 
and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with his servant to the outposts of the, of the armed men who were in the camp. Why did he go with his servant? Because he was afraid. Still, even after the signs, verse 12, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So put yourself in Gideon's shoes right now. The Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to arise and I want you to go down to the camp. And if you are afraid, here is what I want you to do. I want you to take your servant. So he takes his servant. He goes down. He is scared. He is the guy who hides in wine presses. He is, he is the guy who asks for signs. He is the guy who brings along his servant. And when he goes down to the camp, what does he see? He sees an army like locusts. He sees camels and an army that are like sand on the seashore. And I'd imagine when he goes down and he looks at the size of that army, he says to the Lord, Lord, this isn't helping. This really isn't helping me right now. You've sent me down here and you said you're going to assure me and I'm looking out and it kind of looks like we're not going to win. We have 300 men. We're not going to win this. He's afraid. And one of the themes... One of the themes in the book of Judges is this. It is fear, isn't it? That's what happened with Judah. When, when, they saw, when they saw the iron chariots, what happened? They were afraid. When Barak saw the iron chariots, what happened? What did he say to Deborah? Will you go with me? And Gideon, when he comes to go down, he brings his servant, and he looks out at all, all this army like locusts all outnumbering him, and he says, this is not going to work. Humanly speaking, what does it look like? An absolutely terrible, terrible plan. Because they are outnumbered. Do you know what I've realized? Ever since I've been a Christian, here's what I've realized. We are always outnumbered. There's never been a time in my Christian life where I've not felt not felt outnumbered. When I was in secondary school, I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ at 15, and after that summer, I went into school, and I realized something very quickly. I'm outnumbered here. This isn't going to go well. Then I went into, into college, went into MTU, went into college. We had, what, 15 Christians in the CU or something like that? What did I realize? We're outnumbered here. I had to make a decision on the very first day when I got into college, what way am I going to live and what am I going to do because I am outnumbered in this classroom. It looks like and it feels like, I don't know about you, but it feels like sometimes in this world that we're in a losing battle, doesn't it? I mean, that's what it feels like for me constantly. I constantly look at this world and I say, we're outnumbered. I remember in MTU, I went around, um, myself and my friend, we wanted to tell people about Jesus. So we went around at lunchtime, we went around to all the different tables and we, we tried to tell people about Jesus. How do you think it went? Terribly. 
We went from table to table to table to table, and it was rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, and we came out and we felt we are outnumbered here. And look at us this morning. I mean, us here, compared to this town, we're outnumbered. That's the reality. And Monday morning, when you go to work, when you go to your workplace, you will realize this. If you are a Christian, you don't have the same views as everybody else. You are outnumbered. You're going to be ostracized. And, 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 and what happens in this world, when we might even stay silent, and what happens in this world is that people will still see us as their enemy. Still. And it is a very difficult thing when we see that. And so there's, there's three options for us that we realize we, need, we have when we are outnumbered. The first option is this, we just fear them. When we're outnumbered and you go to the work and you go into this world, you, your option is this, just, just be afraid of them. Stay quiet, go around your own business, just fear them. That's your first option. That's kind of the Gideon option, if you like. Just be afraid. Be afraid of them. The second option is this. Join them. When you're outnumbered, how about we don't fear them? How about we, we join them? And so we think sometimes, oh, maybe this is a peer pressure problem, peer pressure problem for primary school age and for secondary school age. But when I become an adult, I can stand up for myself. I'll be fine. I will not join them. And then you get involved in a conversation at work that you know you shouldn't be involved in. And instead of walking away, you stay and you join them. Or you're in a WhatsApp group and, and the conversation goes astray. And you see the conversation going astray. And you have an option. You can be silent, you can leave, or you can join them and you join them. These are very real temptations when we realize we're outnumbered, right? We fear them. We join them. But the third option is this. We trust Him. We trust Him. See, I believe that God has you right now. God has you right now in the job that He wants you. God has you right now with the family He wants you in. God has you right now in the place that He wants you. And even though you feel outnumbered right now, here's what He wants you to do. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me that I'm going to be with you. Even though you feel outnumbered, do not be afraid. For I am the Lord your God, and I will be with you wherever you go. You feel outnumbered, but hear this. You are not alone. You're never alone. And so this is the encouragement for God's people to always remember, even if we are outnumbered, that God is always with us. And you see, the thing about Gideon is this. Gideon has forgotten something very important. At the very start, when God called Gideon, what did God tell Gideon? Gideon, I am with you, and Gideon, guess what? I have given the Midianites into your hands. In other words, what did God say to Gideon? Gideon, 
you've already won. That's the important information that he's forgetting. Yes, we have 300, but God has told me we have already won. So I don't need to be afraid. And this is the truth that I think we as Christians often forget. The battle has already been won. So it doesn't matter what they say to us. It doesn't matter how many of them are there. It doesn't matter what they tell us to do or what they tell us we should do or say or what badges we should wear or what protests we should join or what flags we should fly. It doesn't matter. The battle has already been won, brothers and sisters. Jesus was nailed to the cross, and when He was nailed to the cross, He defeated sin, death, and Satan. It is done, and He is coming back one day to finish it all up. We need to remember when we enter into this world, when you go in on Monday morning to whatever world that the Lord has given you, remember, the battle has been won. The Lord saves us. And yes, people outnumber us, but the Lord, He is with us. And I think that's what He wants to remind Gideon. God wants to remind Gideon that God is for him and not against him. And I think God wants to remind you of that this morning, that God is for us. He's not against us, even in our fear. So listen, he goes down to the camp. Gideon goes down to the camp. He sees all the, the army that are like locusts. He says, God, this doesn't look like a good plan. I mean, really, they're outnumbering. Like, he's even afraid of their camels. I didn't know camels were dangerous at all. But like, I mean, if, if you have a load of camels that are as you know, numerous as the seashore, that's, that's maybe a bit terrifying. And then verse 13, here's what happens. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I have dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbling down into the camp of Midian came to the tent and struck it, struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no one other than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Now listen to this, verse 15. Wonderful, wonderful. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Finally, finally he realizes, God, you're going to do it. Don't know how. It's going to be like barley tumbling into a land. It's going to be all messy and whatever. But God, you're going to do it. And so God, I'm going to worship you. And this is the incredible thing about God in this story. You know what? Have you ever thought to yourself, if I was God, I wouldn't react like this. You know, I know it's a terrible thing to say, but we do think it, right? If I was God, I would just give out to him. You know, I would shout at Gideon. I would say, Gideon, look, I've given you all these signs. Made the fleece wet, I made the fleece dry. What more do you want, Gideon? Just go and win the battle. That's what I'd do with Gideon. I'd shout at him. But the Lord doesn't shout at him. The Lord shows him. That's what a loving father does. 
Imagine at nighttime, say you have a daughter, and the daughter, she wakes up and she's scared. It's like three o'clock in the morning, she wakes up and she's scared. So you hear the little rustles in the room, you're kind of asleep and you're like, oh, I don't know. Hear the rustles in the room and then she starts getting up and then your daughter, she comes to you. She says to you, Daddy, Mommy, I'm afraid. I'm scared. Now you could shout at her. What are you scared for? Don't be scared. The doors are locked. Mommy and Daddy are here. Your brother and sister are there. What are you scared for? Get back to bed. You could shout. Or the loving father could do this. Loving father or mother could get up and show her. Pick her up, walk her into the room, turn on the lights and say, there's no one here. There's nothing to be scared of. Look under the bed. There's no monsters here. You're safe. I'm with you. It's okay. That's what the Lord is doing with Gideon, and it's wonderful. Gideon, don't worry. Gideon, if you're scared, take your servant with you. Gideon, listen to the dream. Listen to the interpretation. And you know what, Gideon? You're going to realize I am with you. And what happens to Gideon's heart? Gideon goes from fear to worship. That is where the Lord wants to take you this morning. The Lord wants to take you from the place of fear to the place of worship, knowing always, no matter where I go, no matter what I feel, no matter what the circumstances, He's with me. He cares for me. He's showing me. He's alongside me. If I need words, He's going to give me the words to speak. If I need strength, he, he, he has given me the Holy Spirit so that I am no longer alone. That is what God wants to do with us. He wants to change us from people who are filled with fear to people who are filled with worship. Do you remember what happened with the locked door? With the locked door in the locked room, the disciples were there. Why did they lock the door? Because they were afraid. And instead of shouting at them, what does the Lord do? The Lord comes into the locked room and He shows them. He says, look at my hands. Look at my side. Touch them. Don't be afraid. Stop doubting and believe. And guess what happened to the disciples? They went from fear to worship. They went from silence shouting about the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we will be afraid. You're going to continue to struggle with that. That is our lot in life. But God would have you reminded this morning, you have nothing, nothing, hear me, nothing to be afraid of. For the Lord your God, He's with you. They come to Gideon. They say to Gideon, right, Gideon, what's the plan? What's the plan? How are we going to win it? Gideon says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get trumpets, you know, trumpets. And I want you to get jars. 
empty jars, and we're going to shout. Humanly speaking, sounds like an absolutely terrible, terrible plan. Listen to what he says to them. Verse 15, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. What a change. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. What's the plan? We're going to blow trumpets, we're going to break jars, and we're going to shout, and the Lord is going to give us victory. How are we going to win doing that? Why would the Lord have that plan? So that He gets all of the glory. He gets all of the glory. So that's what they do. They run into the camp. They break the jars. They sound the trumpets. They shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They don't have swords. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then it says in verse 21, every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army blowing the trumpets, smashing the jars, shouting for the Lord and for Gideon meant they were completely terrified. They woke up and they started killing each other. Then they ran away. There was, there was, um, there was an entrapment set for them by Ephraim. And then at the end of the account, here's what it tells us. If you don't mind me skipping to the end of the account, verse 25, it says this. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. The Lord has brought salvation. And it is amazing, you know, (laughs) when you look at these guys, Where's Zeb? Where's Zeb? Zeb is in the wine press. Who's afraid now? Who's afraid now? The Lord has brought about victory. We can trust in the Lord. God has saved us. Even though people outnumber us, God is with us. God is for us. God is not against us. God doesn't shout at us. He shows us. God wants to bring us from fear to worship. And I would encourage you to worship Him today, to trust in Him. Trust in Him on Monday morning. Trust in Him wherever He has you, for He is with you. Before we think about what happens next week, there is something that makes me curious, and it is what Gideon asked the people to shout. For the Lord and for Gideon. Strikes me as not being quite right. Who's the battle for? 
should be for the Lord. Who should get all glory? Should be the Lord. And what I think you're going to find out about Gideon next week is he's not really all for, for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are with us, that you are not against us. That, Lord Jesus, you are for us, and we do not need to be afraid. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people to continually trust in you and lean on you each and every single day. In your precious and wonderful name, I pray. Amen.